0: Some of you may have actually grown up in a church where you heard a bit of this story. But my uh, assurance to you is that the story of Jonah is just as instructive, possibly even more instructive to us as adults um, than uh, just being a a, a kid's story. So we're going to actually unpack the story of Jonah over the next four weeks. Uh, We're actually going to push pause next week for Father's Day. But we're going to unpack the story of Jonah and really drill down Into this story and and take away lessons, principles, ideas, things that you and I can actually learn from. And if we apply to our lives, we can actually see more of God's work in our lives. Just hearing God's word does nothing unless we go away and apply it. So, right now, grab your smartphones, grab your, your tablets, grab your notebooks, get ready to take some notes. We want to drill down into this story. Let's start off right at the beginning, the first chapter of Jonah. Chapter one, verse one, let's pick it up. One day long ago, God's word came to Jonah, Amittai's son. God said, up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh, preach to them. They're in a bad way and I can't ignore it any longer. But, and it's not gonna end well whenever someone in response to God starts with, but Jonah got up, And went the other direction to Tarshish, running away from God. He went down to the port of Joppa and found a ship headed for Tarshish. And he paid the fare and went on board, joining those in Tarshish as far away from God as he could get. Now I understand that when you we we start to look at a story like this, there's several responses that we can maybe consider. You know, we might just look at down our noses at Jonah. Ah Jonah, yeah. God asks you to do something and you didn't do it. You pathetic little bloke. We can look down our noses and I understand that. Maybe some of you you read a story like this and you maybe feel sorry for Jonah. You know, you, you can actually start to fast forward this in your mind. You can imagine that, that Jonah is going to miss out on an incredible opportunity to be used by God. And so we feel sorry for him. But let me just give you a little bit of context that might actually cause you to throw Jonah a bone. Nineveh was the capital of what was then a place called Assyria. Okay, it doesn't exist any longer. But Assyria at the time were, were the, the, the number one enemies... Of Jonah's people, the Israelites. And over the course of centuries, the Assyrians had uh, time and again invaded where the Israelites were living, would actually take people by the hundreds captive and take them back into their, their, their town of, or their, 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 their country of Assyria and, and use them as, as captives and as slaves. The Assyrians were brutal, they were barbaric, they invaded the whole villages were known to actually commit suicide just on hearing word that the Assyrians were coming to attack them. That that suicide was a better outcome than suffering at the hands of the Assyrians. This this is just a little bit of 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 a snapshot of Nineveh and this place. They would skin prisoners alive. They would actually split people's skulls open while the people were still living and breathing. This is where God was calling Jonah to. They would rip out the tongues of people. They would rip their tongues out and and shove a stake through them and just leave them sitting there. This was the place that God was calling Jonah to, to preach to them, to tell them to turn around. You ready to throw Jonah a bone for maybe not being so keen on this idea? They would take people out into the desert and bury them up to their necks and just leave them. They would tie people to the stake, to a stake and force them to listen to One Direction on endless loop. You you can understand this is not a place you'd want to be sent by God. So maybe we can actually think, well, Jonah was a little bit fearful and in his fear, instead of obeying God and saying yes to God, he actually ran as far away from God as he could get. But actually, and we'll get to this in the next few weeks, it's more likely that, that, that Jonah, rather than being fearful of going to Nineveh, he was just running around with his big middle finger in the air saying, whatever Nineveh get from God, they deserve that. Stuff them is probably the aussie translation that Jonah's like hey mate god I don't think they're worth being saved Because I don't think they're worth being saved. I'm sure it's heck not going to be the guy that's caught in the meat in that sandwich But here's the reality here's the truth god Will often Ask us to do What we don't want to do now, I understand This statement doesn't line up with the follow Jesus brochure that some of you were given. But this is axiomatic. Some of you already know this. You've been following Jesus long enough to know this is actually true. God will often ask you to do things you don't want to do. God might ask you to increase your giving and you don't want to. God might ask you to contribute and join an elevate team, but you don't want to. God might ask you to give your wife more quality time and attention, but you might not want to. And right now, if you were honest with yourself, some of you, there's an area or areas in your life right now where you're saying no to God. And I'm reminded of something the Catholic writer Henri Nguyen said. He says it's more it's much easier to be God than to trust God. It's much easier to be God to do things in our time when we're ready, when we're comfortable, when we think the time it's much easier to be God than to trust God. And that's the challenge. That's the challenge as we grow, and that's the challenge as, as we mature. For many, many uh, you know, years, and, and maybe some of you have held this conception, that, that maturity, a sign of someone's Christian maturity, is, is how much of the Bible they know, or, or how long they've been part of a church. But you know, I really like the way Erwin McManus puts it. He actually defines maturity as lag time. Lag time, the time between when God asks you to do something and when you say yes. And that the sign of maturity is as that gap, as that lag time truncates, you can actually tell that that person is growing in their maturity as a follower of Jesus. And I'm guilty of this crime. Nearly 20 years ago, God, I I know, I know, I know that God was calling me to quit my job and go to Bible college. I knew it. I was even telling people. And then I would finish the sentence with, but I'm not going to do it. And my lag time between when I knew, not wondered, not, hmm, I, no, I knew. I knew God was calling me to Bible college. The lag time between when I knew he was calling me and when I actually signed up and enrolled was two years, okay? I ran around with my big middle finger in the air at God saying, I'd much rather be God than trust God for two years, 18 years later, Louis and I were living in Melbourne, and I'm not brag about this, but I'm just saying this is how it should work. There should be, as we mature, a shorter lag time in our responsiveness, in our obedience. And you parents know this, by the way. You parents know this when you've got young kids, you know, and and they want to touch everything they're not meant to touch. You know, the, the buttons on the on the appliances. They, they could push against the brick wall all day long with their finger, and you wouldn't be bothered by that. But no, they don't want to push against the brick wall. They want to push against stuff they're not allowed to. You know that, and you say, Johnny, I want you to put, a, I want you to step away from that. I want you to stop touching that. And Johnny shakes his head in defiance, and you say, Johnny, I've asked you once. I want you to stop doing that. I want you to walk away from that. No, I don't want to, Johnny. Wrong answer. And you say, Johnny, I'm going to count to three. Now, the one, two, three is not the lag. The lag time was right when this conversation began, when you first caught Johnny doing the wrong thing. And, and, and young kids, they're growing in this. They're growing in this thing of obedience. But if little two-year-old Johnny is still doing that... Now, now I'm going to just uh, gloss over teenagehood because that's just a whole other species right there. But let's just say maybe up to about the age of 9, 10, or 11, if little Johnny has still got the same amount of lag time with obedience then we can actually suppose that that he's not maturing. And that's true of us. See, for me, two years for not going to Bible college, Louie and I were living in Melbourne about uh, four years ago and we felt God call us back to Perth and we said yes that very day. And I can only just say that that, that hopefully that's a sign that we are maturing, not in our ability to hear from God, though, though hopefully that's true as well, but ultimately in our ability to obey. That, that lag time is truncated. So what is it in your life right now that God is asking you to do or has asked you to do and you're too busy playing God and not trusting God? You're saying no when he simply wants a yes. Yes, I will. Yes, I'll trust you. Because God will often ask you to do things you don't want. And here's the thing. Picking up the, the, the example from Jonah's story When you don't want to do what God wants you to do, you can always find a boat going in the other direction. You can always find someone to agree with you. Join your lack of faith club. But Jonah went up, got up and went to the other direction, to Tarshish, running away from God. He went down to the port, as far away from God as he could get. Now, there's a whole lot of things I don't understand about God. One of them is I don't understand why God actually gives us so much freedom to choose. You know, I think if I was God, I'd be a bit more of a benevolent dictator kind of uh, approach, but he doesn't. He, He asks Stuff of us and he asks stuff of us that wasn't in the follow me Jesus brochure, but he leaves the decision of whether we'll say yes or no, whether we'll obey or not. He leaves that entirely up to us. Not mostly up to he leaves it entirely up to us. That's a head scratcher for me, but it but it's the reality. And so we have when God asks us to do something, we stand at the point of decision. Now, look, I want to show you something, a little bit of a, of a concept. Those of you like me who are visual people, let's throw the next slide up. This, this is what some of us mistakenly think that the obedience pathway looks like. That, that God asks us to do something at a particular point in time, in a particular sphere of our lives, and we think that well, we know that we have the choice to obey or disobey. That's universal. That's true. But what we too, what too many people think is that they think that the journey is just a little bit, a little bit. The journey of disobedience is only just a little, tiny, winzy, winzy, a bit away from the journey of obedience, right? And if you think this, it. it, it it, it indicates the inferences that you't you don 't you don't think that the consequences of disobeying are very severe, and actually you also think, look over the, the course of time i 'm not going to be any further away from just being able to take a little bit of a of a of a, of a hop skip and a jump over to the sign of of obedience but that 's not what we take from the story of jonah that 's not what this story talks, this story talks about Jonah picking a ship that was going to a place in the absolute opposite direction to Nineveh, that, that, that he wanted to get as far away from God as he could get, not, not, not a few inches away, he wanted to get as far away from God as he could get now i don't want to get ahead of myself this morning, but the reality is you can run, but you can 't hide. You need to remember that but look this If you've ever thought that, I'm glad you're here this morning because I want to blow that conception out of the water for you. This is absolutely not how obeying God works. I think a better way to conceptualize it is this. One writer calls it the pyramid of choice. They aren't parallel lines that in fact over the course of time we get further and further and further away from where God actually wanted us to be and from what God actually was calling us to do. And it's not just going to be a nice little convenient hop, skip and a jump when we're ready to stop playing God and start trusting God. (laughs) We're going to be well on the route to Tarshish and miles away from Nineveh. In fact, by the way, literally, Tarshish and Nineveh were 2,500 miles away. And using the sailing technology that, that, that they had back then, that would have taken Jonah about one year to get to Tarshish. Do you understand? One year that he's going to have wasted his life not doing what God's asked him to do and now be 2,500 miles away. This was before the United Arab Emirates started an airline and started to fly nonstop direct routes between Tarshish and Nineveh, okay? This is a huge deal. It's the pyramid of choice. The longer Jonah stayed on that boat, the further he was getting away from Nineveh on his route to Tarshish, saying yes to God, sticking the middle finger up at God. We either obey and we dis. And these are strong words. Not very PC. I've even had, had, not people in this church, I've had other, I actually had a church leader once tell me, don't ever use the word obey and disobey in your church when you're preaching, Mark, because people don't like it. I'm like, what do I care? This is God. You know, I don't. when this is in play school, this is for an eternity at stake, mate. When God asks you to do something, my job's to stand up and say, people, we need to say yes. You say no, that's between you and God. The consequences are on you. But if I'm encouraging you to say no, it's on me and I'm not going to wear that. Obey and disobey. Big, strong Bible words. About two years ago, uh, I heard about a friend of mine and I'd lost a bit of touch with him. I heard about a friend of mine who was leading a church, leading a great church, great church. Church was exploding, people everywhere. Uh, they were actually starting to now uh, add uh, additional locations to uh, to their city to really build their influence and just just going gangbusters. And this this was actually a relatively young guy, and, and he was one of those kind of all stars too. He could flip and preach and he could lead worship and just like you know sort of guy that makes you sick. And um, and I lost a bit of contact with him and then and then. I heard just one day. I heard that that, that, that he'd had an affair uh, with a girl in his church, and he'd actually got her pregnant. And you know, you can imagine things got a bit complicated, and he had to resign and from his role leading the church and so on. And I think, I mean, that news just stopped me in my tracks. I'm sure, you can imagine. but he 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 may he may have gotten the girl pregnant down here but it was but the drift started right at the top of the pyramid and that's what it is it's a drift it's it's not you know it's not just you wake up one day and decide you're going to have an affair it's a drift you 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 start paying less attention to your spouse you start paying more attention to someone else so my interoffice Romances are unfortunately so prevalent these days because some people spend more time with their colleagues than they do with their spouse. But it's a drift. They don't just turn up at work one day and decide they're going to sleep with a colleague. This, this stuff percolates. It's a drift. And, 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 and you get to this point and you think, and it, and it might not be about affairs. It, you know, it, it may be about the quality of your marriage. Maybe God's asked you to do something, spend more time with your spouse and you're not, and you're drifting away from the intimacy that God would have. Maybe it's something to do with your finances. Maybe it's something to do with serving. Maybe whatever it is. And it could even be a few things that God's calling you to do. And you've actually been disobeying him. And you're on this drift away from Nineveh. And you're on your way to Tarshish. And that's not good. That's not where God wants you to be. God's got something for you to do. But look, in the reality of the matter that God will often asks, ask us to do stuff that isn't easy, that isn't convenient, and that we, we might not actually want to do. I'm reminded of Andy Stanley. He has a prayer that he would pray every night over his kids. And he, I think he even made it up. He, he doesn't even remember himself. Andy leads a great church, influential leader uh, in the US. And he's got this little prayer. And he used to pray this. His kids now are sort of late teens. But, but as his kids were growing up, he used to pray this prayer every night over them before they went to bed. But I don't think this is just a prayer that you pray over your kids. I reckon this is a prayer that you and I should be praying over our lives and the decisions we make, as well as praying it over your kids and with your kids and teaching them to pray it. But here's a prayer. This is something worth writing down. Lord, give me the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to do what's right, even when it's hard. And you might change the words, give me the wisdom to know what you're calling me to do, and the courage to do what you're calling me to do, even when it's hard. But God is going to ask us to do things that aren't always easy. We can always find a boat going in the other direction. And some of us have been drifting for years. And you might be sitting here this morning right now feeling a little bit squeamish, a little bit uncomfortable, thinking, oh, flipping heck, I've, I've drifted miles away. You know, I'm halfway to Tarshish when God had been calling me to Nineveh. All, guys, for you, I'm glad you're here. There is some good news for you. Story of Jonah continues, but God sent a huge storm at sea. The waves were towering. And the ship was about to break into pieces and the sailors were terrified. Now, I've said this before. Whenever you're on a plane and there's a bit of turbulence, don't panic. Just look at the, at the stewards and stewardesses. If they're panicking, panic. Otherwise, chill. When experienced sailors are terrified for their life, there's a pretty good chance that you should be too. And so what happened is these sailors who were terrified, and I'll just fast forward a little bit through the story. You can read it for yourself and I hope you will. They, they, the crew got together and they actually prayed to their gods, not to the God that, that um, Jonah served, the God that we serve. They prayed to their gods and hey, guess what? Nothing changed. Nothing happened. The storms kept coming. So they, so they did a little bit of a, a rock, paper, scissors kind of thing. They, they called it drawing straws, but we would do a, a rock, paper, scissors. Did rock, paper, scissors and whoever lost... And I'm not going to explain the complexity of rock, paper, scissors here this morning. Uh, time doesn't permit, but uh, there's an app for that. But um, there is actually. Uh, anyway, um, they did a little bit of rock, paper, scissors to, to and, and whoever lost the idea, this is how they, they rationalized it. And, and I don't suggest this is how you kind of solve all of the world's crises, but they, they, they figured that whoever lost the game of rock, paper, scissors w- w- was, the, was the one who was responsible for why these storms were coming. So Jonah lost, I think, paper beat rock. And uh, Jonah lost. And so they turned to him and they blamed him. They started grilling him. Confess, why this disaster? What's your work? Where do you come from? What country? What family? And he told them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship God, the God of heaven. He made the sea and the land. Whoops. At that, the men were frightened, really frightened, and said, What on earth have you done? As Jonah talked, the sailors realized that he was running away from God. So Jonah came up with an answer. Jonah said, Throw me overboard into the sea. Then the storm will stop. It's all my fault. I'm the cause of the storm. Get rid of me. And you'll get rid of the storm. So they took Jonah and <laughs> threw him overboard. Immediately, the sea was quieted down. Can't really blame them, can you? Jonah's idea, after all. The sailors were impressed. No longer terrified by the sea, but in awe of God. And they worshipped God. And they offered a sacrifice and actually made vows. Vows. And then God assigned a huge fish, not a whale, a huge fish to swallow Jonah. A whale is a mammal. A huge fish to swallow Jonah. Isn't that right, Baden? Huge fish to swallow Jonah. Fish. If you ever playing Bible Trivial Pursuit? The answer is fish. Jonah was inside the fish's belly three days and nights. You know, the takeaway from, from, from me for this little part of the story is your greatest nightmare might actually be exactly what you need. I said before, you can run, but you can't hide. One of the, one of the, 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 the phrases or the expressions that, that's often over, over centuries actually been used to describe God is he's been referred to as the hound of heaven. This metaphor to a, to a dog, but a hunting dog a dog that hunts after you and me, a dog that pursues us relentlessly, that has, a, 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 has our scent and is on us and is gonna keep after us and keep pursuing us. First of all, to establish a relationship with us, what we would call salvation, churchy word, He pursues us. We think we can run. We think we can hide. We think we can get away from him. He comes after us because he wants to be in a relationship with us even more than we want to be in a relationship. Even if we've got our back to him. Even if we've got our middle thing. He is called the hound of heaven because he goes after us. And then when he has us, when we've actually come to our senses, turned around and said, God, I want to actually have that relationship with you. That's not the end of the hound. The hound doesn't go back to the kennel there. The hound continues to pursue us so that we will fulfill his plans and his purposes. So we'll find the very reason we've been created. So we'll find our very destiny and not just find it, but we'll pursue it. We'll go after it. We'll make his plans our plans. We'll make his purpose our purpose. And by the way, note to you, the purpose in life isn't to arrive at death safely, scar free. Our purpose in life is to do God's purpose for our life. And Jonah wasn't doing that. Some of you aren't doing that. But God wants us to change direction. God wants us to change direction. And I was just thinking about this, lying in bed last night. And this is just the phrase that that came to me. God sometimes causes storms or, or let, me, let me put it in 21st century speak. God sometimes stages an intervention to get our attention so that we'll change our direction. Did you hear that? Some of you will have a far more fulfilling life if you write that down. God sometimes causes an intervention to get our attention so that we will change our direction. Or, by the way, God doesn't always cause the intervention, but God sometimes will allow an intervention to get our attention. Because, by the way, the choice is still ours. still ours. We still get to play God. So that we'll hopefully, ultimately change our direction. It looks like this. Wherever that intervention happens, God will either cause it and stage an intervention, or He'll allow an intervention in the hope that He'll get our attention, so that we will change our direction. So we'll get off the ship to Tarshish and start find the next train to Nineveh to do what He said, to obey and no longer disobey. And here's a little tip, last tip of the day. When this happens, when God stages or allows an intervention. Don't waste time asking why this has happened to me. Stop playing God and ask a better question. What's next? God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to learn from this? Have a little peek in the rear view mirror. What do you want me to learn from my stupidity? What do you want me to learn from my disobedience? What do you want me to learn from having said no to you and taken your job description on board and started handing my business card around? Mark God, little G. (laughs) And then ask the question, what now? God, what's next? What do you want me to do? What, what, What do you want me to do? You may never find out why. What do you want me to do? What's next? Well, chances are, if too much time and distance hasn't elapsed, because by the way, Jonah hasn't reached Tarshish and got off the boat yet, maybe, just maybe, God's going to get you to have, the, give you the privilege, the second chance of, of having a go at this thing that he asks you to obey him in, in the first place. Maybe. And, I, and I'm saying to you now, drill down, drill down honestly into your own life from today drill down into your own life and ask the hard questions. Put pride aside. It's not good for anything apart from promoting spiritual cancer. Put pride aside and ask the honest question. What have I been saying no to God? What have I been disobeying him in? What have I been what area or areas have I been wanting to play God and been playing God rather than trusting God? Drill down into that. I can't do that for you. We're not going to take an exam. I'm not going to phone you up during the week to to find out what the answer is. This is between you and God, just like it was between Jonah and God. You can run, but you can't hide. Or or by the way, or don't. (laughs) Don't, just carry on. Just carry on. Live this week as if you you weren't even here this morning. As if you haven't even heard God's word. And, And that's, you know... I hope you don't. I mean, I I, I love you guys and I hope you don't. I I, I want you to to find God's plan and purpose and and live that and fulfill that. So I hope you don't. But it's it's up to us. It's the choice is ours. Again, if I was God, it's not how I'd have set it up. I wouldn't have let you left the building until you've given me an answer to that question. Where are you disobeying me? So give that some thought. I, I think fewer things are actually more important Fewer things are actually more important. Fewer questions are more important. God, where am I disobeying you? I actually want to do your will. I actually want to fulfill your plans and your purpose in and through my life. Even if you've got a blind spot, ask God to reveal it to you. If there's pride, say, God, just help me strip this pride away so I can just be honest before you. And, oh man, imagine a whole church of people passionately, passionately, pursuing God and His will just as much as He's pursuing us to do His will. Can you imagine that? I imagine that a lot. I'd resign if if that didn't excite me. Go and sell bagels somewhere. (laughs) Some of you, God's pursuing you because He wants to actually have a relationship with you. And uh, you either weren't unaware of that or maybe you're aware of that and you've been just running from Him. You've never actually stopped Turn around and let him meet with you and begin that relationship with him. We want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. The last thing we do this morning, but it's actually the most important thing we do this morning. Some of you have never actually said yes. You've been running from God and he's been running after you. You can run, but you can't hide. And I'd say to you, don't hide. The best thing you can do is turn around. The best thing you can do is say, God, I want to have a relationship with you. So if you've never done that, we're going to make give you that opportunity right here, right now, to, to, to have that relationship with God, to say yes to Him, to stop running from Him, to turn around and, and accept that gift. And all I want you to do, for those of you that need to make that decision this morning, for that to be your, your next step, I just want you to slip your hand up and you slip your hand up, just put your hand in the air, a bit sort of, you know, schoolboy, schoolgirl kind of thing. But just quickly slip your hand up and I'll see a hand and then you can put it down. But just by putting your hand up, all you're saying is, God, actually, yeah, I, I want to have a relationship with you. When I see a hand, put it down. We'll, just, we'll take a, just a few moments. We don't want to miss anybody and then we'll pray. and we'll pray for you, pray with you, not single you out. We'll, we'll all pray together. But the idea is you saying, hey, I want to actually have that relationship with you, God, while the rest of us are praying right now. It's the last thing we do, but it's the most important thing we do. We actually do save the best for last. So just put your hand up right now. If you've never actually said yes to God, to having a relationship with him, just put your hand up. And when I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to pray. I want not miss anybody just looking across our auditorium a couple of times. Cool, great. You can put your hand down. Who else? Let's everybody pray. How about you say these words after me? Dear Jesus, I I thank you that you came to this earth, that you died in my place, that you rose from the dead, that you give me life and life more abundantly. I commit today to place my trust in you, to follow you from this day forward. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a new creation. Give me a brand new start. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's celebrate with that person. Absolutely brilliant. I'll drink to that. So we've got some beautiful, delicious coffee. Actually, what is it? Hmm. Uh, I don't, oh, don't, whoever just, whoever said coffee security, remove them. Put them on the most wanted list. Anyway, it's delicious coffee. Uh, have a great week. Really give this stuff some serious thought, prayerful consideration. Next Sunday, Father's Day, bring your dad, bring your neighbor, bring your grandpies, bring your kids. Uh, we're going to actually have our primary kids in with us here. Uh, in our uh, live experience as well, because we've got uh, army regime hip-hop from New York, and we want to see them get a little bit groove So get them to bring their friends as well, and uh, just going to have a really, really, really great celebration. Fathers get it tough in our society. Some of them deserve it, but most of them don't. We're going to pump father's tires. We're going to lift up the value and the role of fatherhood next week, and uh, so come and bring your dad, and we're going to remind him that he's a hero. All right. Awesome. Lots of new people. Say hi to someone you don't know. Buy them a coffee. Pretend that it costs money from. And buy them a coffee. <laughs>